Good morning. Have you um, ever embarrassed yourself in a particular way? Let me finish. Some of you are like, where are we? Yes, where are we going with this? Um, in a particular way, have you ever embarrassed yourself by um, making a false assumption about someone else's culture? Making a false assumption about someone else's culture. Um, so there are some ways that that can go really poorly, and there are some ways that it can be sort of, you can have that experience and it not be um, <laughs> something you have nightmares about. Um, when we moved to Connecticut about 10 years ago, um, it was a different culture. I grew up in the South, and the way that you tell people what you think in the South is through um, sarcasm and passive-aggressive speech. That's just how you do it in the South. Um, and here's just an example of that. You may have heard this, where if someone in the South says, bless your heart, um, they're not saying, I hope that God brings blessings of peace and joy into your heart. They're saying, you idiot. That's what they're saying. Um, so that's how we do it in the South. And so when we moved to Connecticut, um, I had always been told that people in New England were rude. Um, but when I began to use sarcasm in this passive-aggressive sort of language, people told me that I was rude. And I thought, what are you talking about? I'm from the South, Southern hospitality. We're the most polite people in the country. But what they actually do, they don't use sarcasm in New England. They just tell you what they think. I thought, what is going on here? What kind of human civilization is this where people just say what's on their minds? That's why people in the South think New Englanders are rude. They're not rude. They just actually tell you what they think, and they don't mask it with passive-aggressive language and sarcasm. So I embarrassed myself quite a few times by using sarcasm in ways that other people thought was just rude when all they really wanted me to do was speak my mind and say what I really meant. Um, we can make a lot of mistakes like that uh, with, the, with people around us in different ways that we try to engage with uh, people who are different from us. And the reality is, if we boil it down to the, to the micro level, everyone is different from you, right? There's really not anybody else like you. So a lot of our interactions with other humans is full of us making assumptions about what people think or how they feel or what their past experiences are. And it can lead us into a lot of trouble, especially if we embrace the reality that we have been sent to the people around us to love them in a way that makes them want to turn to Jesus, right? If that's our mission, if that's our purpose, and we go about just making assumptions about the people around us, um, that can really disrupt our mission and make us very ineffective at that task, right? So what we're going to look at today is uh, how we can understand the world uh, we are sent to. And I apologize to my high school English teacher, Mrs. Welburn. I know I should say the world to which we're sent, but that just sounds awkward. So we're going to say the world that we're sent to. Um, we're gonna, we need to understand the world that we're sent to so that we can interact and communicate with people in ways that are respectful and, and healthy and people understand what we're actually uh, trying to say. <clears throat> so... What we're going to see is how uh, Peter and John did this in Acts chapters 3 and 4. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn to Acts 3, uh, that's where we're going to be. Uh, I'm going to just tell this story from Acts 3, and I'll, we'll read a little bit of Peter's message there. But <clears throat> Acts, we know, is uh, sort of based on a thesis statement from Acts 1.8, where Jesus tells the disciples that the Holy Spirit is going to come on you, and then you will be my witnesses in all Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the rest of the book of Acts is just kind of fleshing out that thesis statement and talking about how that happens. 
So in Acts 3, Peter and John are in Jerusalem, and they're on their way to the temple to pray. And as they're going to the temple to pray, which is something that was just part of their routine as, as worshipers of God and people who love Jesus, and, and they pray together. I think this is helpful just as a side note. Um, when they thought about their rhythm of prayer, it often included corporate prayer. So we think of prayer as a private discipline. This is, that's something I do by myself. But um, for the first century Jews, and for a lot of Christians throughout the centuries, uh, prayer has been a very communal experience. And that's why you see us building that into our worship services, right? We did that this morning. We had communal prayer. We think that's very biblical and, and God-honoring. So that's what Peter and John are doing. They're going to the temple, which is a very crowded place all the time, to pray with other people. And on the way, they uh, meet a man who is sitting uh, outside uh, the temple at the gate begging. He's asking for money because he's uh, disabled. He can't walk. Uh, so he can't work, and he has to rely on the charity and generosity of others. And uh, this, this man just kind of, you know, holding his cup or whatever he's doing and asking for money, and Peter and John stop. And they stop, and they look at him. They make eye contact with him. And the man gets pretty excited uh, because what, what do you do when you walk through Indianapolis? No eye contact, right? <laughs> that's the rule. No eye contact, because if I make eye contact, there's going to be a conversation that's going to be awkward, and I'm either going to give somebody money, or I'm going to feel bad about not giving somebody money, right? So he makes eye contact, and the beggar gets really excited and thinks, okay, um, here it comes. They're going to help me out. And Peter and John kind of you know, check there, and they're like, we don't have any cash on us, man. Really sorry about that. But we'll do you one better. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man stands up, and he starts walking, and he starts jumping, and, and he starts hopping around and praising God for this incredible miracle. Well, this draws a crowd. <clears throat> As you can imagine, it's a crowded place. It's the temple in Jerusalem. There are people here from all over the known world. And when uh, a man who's been sitting here for th 30 years begging uh, suddenly starts walking around and praising God, it draws a crowd. And Peter must have been just a preacher at heart because he sees a crowd, and he starts preaching. Like, that's just what he does. Oh, all right, captive audience, here we go. And so Peter starts then uh, explaining to this crowd why um, they shouldn't be surprised that miracles happen. People are like, what is going on? Did somebody do a miracle? That's crazy. Peter's like, why is, a, why is it crazy for you to see a miracle? Remember the God that you believe in, the God that you serve, the God of your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That God that you believe in does miracles all the time. So why are you so surprised that he's doing a miracle here and now? You should be familiar. You should be expecting this kind of thing to happen. But Peter says, the reason why it's happening here and now is so that you will know who Jesus really is. And he begins to talk to them about how the prophets that, that they all grew up reading about and hearing about, how they talked about the Messiah and how Jesus fulfilled everything the prophets said about the Messiah. Essentially, Peter says, Jesus is the Messiah, and you killed him. You were a part of putting him to death. But then he tells them, you know, well, maybe, maybe you didn't know exactly what you were doing. Maybe you didn't realize. And so here, here's, here's uh, let me read a little bit of what Peter's sermon is. Uh, again, if there's uh, some underlined parts on the screen, I invite you to read those out loud. Here's part of Peter's sermon. He says, now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders. 
You didn't really know he was the Messiah. You didn't know what you're doing. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. And that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the... I'm sorry, that's your part. You go. As he promised long ago through his holy prophets, Peter's words reflect a clear grasp of who these people really are. I mean, Peter really understands who these people are and how to talk to them. And that's what I want us to see today. And next time we read scripture, I'll do my part correctly, I promise. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get our act together. This is what I want us to see, that P, the way that Peter spoke to them was based on a deep understanding of who these people were. Peter uh, knew what they believed, and so he, when he talks to them about the prophets, he knows they believe in the prophets. They, they hold up uh, the Old Testament prophets in very high regard, and they believe the words that they said. And what Peter's trying to get them to see is like, I know you believe the prophets. You have just been misunderstanding them. You've misunderstood them for many years. He says what they were talking about was a Messiah that would come and not conquer, but suffer. The Israelites had been waiting for a Messiah that would conquer. And Peter said, you've, you've misunderstood the prophets. The way the Messiah conquers is not through political power or military force. He conquers the powers of sin and death. And he does that through suffering. And so Peter explains this to them. He lays it all out in ways that they can understand. And uh, then he mentions a very politically disruptive message. He says, this man that uh, God sent to be the Messiah, Jesus, you killed him. Maybe, maybe you did that in ignorance. Maybe you didn't know. But here's the good news. He's not dead now. He came back to life. He has risen from the dead. And that's, that kind of gets Peter and John in a lot of trouble. So they end up getting called into the principal's office. They have to go before the Sanhedrin and stand before them and explain why they're telling people that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, the religious leaders end up telling Peter and John, you, you, you have to stop saying that. You have to stop saying Jesus rose from the dead. You're disrupting our whole faith, our whole uh, system that we've developed and how we worship God. You're, you're tearing it all apart by saying that Jesus was the Messiah and that he rose from the dead. And Peter and John, kind of, their response is kind of like, well, it's true though. <laughs> so we can't stop saying what's true just because it kind of messes with your system. We're gonna keep, we're gonna keep saying it. And what I want us to see here is that <clears throat> Peter and John are very intentional in the way they speak to people. When the crowd gathers, or even when they speak to the, to the, to the man uh, who's begging at the gate, the man who uh, can't walk, even when they're speaking to him, they're very intentional about the way they talk to him. And I want us to think about how we can be intentional about the way we talk to the people around us. And in order to do that, we first need to be aware of and face up to some of the false assumptions that we make about people. So today we're going to focus on um, how we interact with people um, in a specific kind of category. These are people who uh, grew up in church. And uh, maybe they, they're familiar with the Bible, or their parents or their grandparents took them to church regularly. But now at this stage in their life, they've moved on. They've just said, Christianity is not for me. How do we talk to people like that? 
Because in a sense, this is kind of the crowd that Peter and John were talking to. They grew up with the prophets. They grew up with the law, and they knew it inside and out. But when it came to Jesus, they just, they just were not on board with Jesus as the Messiah. And they said, Jesus is not for us. So how do we talk to people who grew up in the church, but they've, they've since moved on, and now they would say, Christianity is not for me? First, I think we need to embrace some assumptions that we might make about people who have that experience. We might assume that they know the gospel. Well, if they grew up in church, and if they've read the Bible, then they know the gospel. Is that always true? No. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. We may assume that they actually don't believe in God. Is it, is it always true that people that don't attend church don't believe in God? No, that, that's not always true. We, we might assume that they don't care what God thinks. That's not always true. We might assume that they aren't interested in spiritual things. We might assume that they have, they have really thought through and they've, they've, they've carefully analyzed their own faith and experiences and then made this decision. We might assume that they've done that. Or we might assume that they haven't. In either case, we might be wrong. Like, well, that's, that's a lot of unanswered questions. There's a lot we actually don't know about people. Yes, that's the point. There's a lot that we don't know. And if we take these false assumptions into conversations with people and it turns out that we're wrong, then we're going to misunderstand them and they're going to misunderstand us and the, the communication is not going to happen. Whatever we're hoping to communicate to them, whether it's through our actions or through our words, is not going to make sense. It's not going to get through because we have made some false assumptions about them. And the place that we need to land and be with people is um, we, we want this kind of relationship, this kind of interaction where people can say, I, I think I get who you are and what you care about. And I think you get who I am and what I care about. That, that's where we want to land. I, I think I get who you are and what you care about. And, and I think you get who I am and what I care about. When, when you're at that place in a relationship with somebody, you can have meaningful communication, can't you? But if either one of those is not true, if I think you don't understand me, or if I think I don't understand you, we're, we're going to have a hard time communicating with each other, right? So how do we do that? Let's see what we can draw on from uh, Peter and John. And let's ask some questions here, because uh, I think it's important for us to, to think about why people might be opposed to the gospel, the message of Jesus. And Peter understood why people were opposed. So wh why do you think people are, might be opposed to the gospel? People who grew up in church have some familiarity with the Bible, at one time, they may have called themselves a Christian, but now they've said, Christianity is not for me. Why would they be opposed to the gospel? Well, I think one possibility is many have never heard an accurate telling of the gospel. Many have just never heard the, the accurate telling of the gospel. They, they've, they've heard this really boiled down, distilled, and sometimes distorted version that says, uh, you're bad, and God doesn't like that. God wants you to be good. And so if you would go to church, make a public commitment to Jesus, give some of your money away, then you can be good and God will like that. And then you can go to heaven and not hell when you die. For many people growing up in church, that's the version of the gospel that sort of stuck. That may not be exactly what was always said, but that's the version that sort of stuck. I'm bad. God wants me to be good. I need to do some things so that God will think I'm good and I can go to heaven. Is that the gospel as we know it and understand it? No, that is not. 
We talked about this at the very first week of this uh, series. I'm not going to go back through all of that. Um, If you want to hear kind of my summary, five-minute summary of the gospel, I encourage you to go back and do that. But the gospel is much bigger than that, and it involves the kingdom of God and the way God created things to be and how he's invited us into his kingdom to participate in the renewal of of all things. That's so much bigger than whether you're bad or good. In fact, whether you're bad or good has very little to do with it. And so many people are opposed to the gospel because they've never heard an accurate understanding or telling of the gospel. And how would you know if they have or haven't? We'll get to that in a minute too. Uh, Why might people who grew up in church be opposed to Jesus? Why might they be opposed to Jesus? I think it's because many people can't reconcile what they have heard or think they know about Jesus with what they have heard or think they know about God. Well, what's the difference? Well, I think the way that we talk about God and Jesus sometimes is very different. And the way that sometimes when people read scripture or they hear stories from the Old Testament, they get a a certain picture of God in their minds. And sometimes that picture is of a very angry, wrathful, vengeful, bloodthirsty deity. And then they look at Jesus and they say, well, Jesus is peaceful and loving and kind and gentle. And how can those two be the same? How can Jesus be the son of God or be what we would say in a sense, God, Jesus is God. How can that be if those two um, pictures in our minds just don't line up? Well, I think if you've studied scripture and, and, and kind of gotten a broad sense, you would understand that, that uh, those uh, pictures that I just described are, are more like caricatures. They're not really accurate reflections of who God is and how he's presented in the Old Testament. And they're not really accurate uh, um, depictions of who Jesus is and how he's presented in the New Testament. Yes, Jesus is kind and loving, but he's also very firm and he's also uh, opposed to those who would hurt others. And God in the Old Testament is very loving and kind and gracious and patient and also very opposed to sin and the kind of things that hurts other people. They, they do match. But a lot of times people just don't get enough of the big picture to see. And so when they can't reconcile who, who we say Jesus, who they think Jesus is with who they think God is, it's like, well, uh, this doesn't make sense. I'm just out on the whole thing. That's a possibility. How would we know that about somebody? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, third, why might people be opposed to the church? Why might people be opposed to the church? There are a lot of possible answers here, a lot. I just want to hit on one kind of general that I think uh, covers a lot of, a lot of people. Um, But again, I would just say there's a lot of possibilities here. One is many people have had a bad experience with the church. They've been hurt by Christians, hurt by churches, or hurt by church leaders. And so they've just said, I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. I'll just move on and do something else. And these these could be people who still believe in God, uh, who still may think highly of the Bible, uh, who still may, uh, in a sense, want to and, and try to follow Jesus, but have just said, too much pain involved with being a part of a church. I don't, I don't want that. This quote from John Allen Turner, I think, captures this. It's hard to convince people that a God they can't see loves them when a church they can see doesn't seem to like them. It's true, isn't it? And it's painfully true that this happens. Churches hurt people. Christians hurt people. Church leaders hurt people. Part of our response to this should be um, confession and repentance (laughs) and just saying, yeah, that's true. 
There have been times when I have hurt people. There have been times when our church corporately has hurt people. And we should confess that and repent that and say, that's, when we do that, when we do things like that, we are not reflecting the nature and character of the Jesus that we love and serve. And then on the other side of that, two, two sides of this, we, we need to confess and repent. And, and we, we also um, just need to do better. We just need to not hurt people. Um, and, and we need to be, just to be able to live in this reality that we are human beings and that we make mistakes. And the church, as much as we love a Jesus who is perfect, we are not and we just have to kind of embrace that too and say, I'm, I'm sorry that, that the church has hurt and we want to confess and we want to repent and we want to do better. And yet there's not an organization on the planet where people inside it don't hurt other people because we're fallen, we're broken, we're working towards restoration and renewal, but we're just not there yet. So uh, those are some of the possibilities, some assumptions we might make, and some ways that people um, respond to that. So how can we engage in spiritual conversation? This is a question that we're going to ask a lot over the next few weeks, is how can we engage in spiritual conversation with people who are, might think about or see the world different from us? And again, on a micro level, every person sees the world a little bit differently from you, because you have a, you have a unique, you know, perspective, a unique angle from how you've been raised and your environment and your education and, you know, all of that stuff. So how do we engage in spiritual conversation with people who may be opposed to the gospel or to Jesus or to the church? Okay, first thing uh, we're going to do, we're going to follow the example of Peter and John here, is we're going to begin with kindness. We're going to begin with kindness. Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. Is this a good thing? Yes. Is this something that, that should be a priority of the life of a Jesus follower? prayer. Yes. We would say this is a very, what they're doing is very important. And yet they allow themselves to be interrupted by a person in need. They're on the way to the temple to pray. And as far as we can tell from the story, it, they never, it never happens. They never get there. <laughs> they never get to a place where they can pray in the temple because things just sort of spiral uh, into chaos here in a little bit. So they allow themselves, even though they're doing something good, they allow themselves to be interrupted by a person in need. I think that's what it means to begin our relationships with people with kindness. That even when we're doing something good, are we, are we open to being interrupted by someone in need? By stopping and looking somebody in the eye and saying, I, maybe, I don't, maybe I don't have money to give you. Maybe I, I'm not a plumber. I'm not an electrician. I can't do the exact thing that you need, but, but I'm here to help. I want to help. And we, and we pause and we begin with kindness. It was this act of kindness that drew the crowd that Peter then preached the gospel to. It was this act of kindness that opened the door for a big opportunity of ministry. And I just want to encourage you. I think the small acts of kindness that we can do when we stop and we pay attention to each other, I don't mean random anonymous acts of kindness. I mean intentional personal acts of kindness, where we're looking people in the eye, we learn their names, and we, we do something that's helpful for them. And those moments can really open up big doors of opportunity for sharing the gospel and for ministry. So we're going to begin with kindness. Uh, next, we're going to find common ground. And, P and Peter did this so well in his sermon. Uh, Peter said us and we a lot in his sermon to these people. We, we Israelites, I'm one of you. Like we, we have some shared values. We value 
the law and the prophets. I mean, he was able to look at this crowd of people and say, I know something is true about you that's also true about me. We value the law and the prophets. So let's talk about the law and the prophets. What did the prophets say about the Messiah? Let's really look at that. So they found common ground. And I think that's so important for us to do. Because the reality is, as different as we are from other people, I believe, because all humans are made in the image of God, that you can find common ground with any human being that you run into. I believe you can find some common ground with any person. Even if you're on the right and they're on the left, I believe you can find common ground with them. Even if you're a faithful Christian and they're an atheist, I believe you can find common ground with them. And I think that starts in some simple ways. If, if the, the person that you're engaging with is a parent, I bet, I bet they care about their kids just like you do. If they have aging parents, I bet they care about their parents just like you do. If they have grandkids or great grandkids, I bet they love their grandkids just like you do. I bet that most people you interact with, regardless of their political or religious beliefs, really want what's best for people and really get hurt and, and feel pain when they see other people being mistreated. I think most people are like that. I think sometimes we just need to recognize that we have things in common with the people around us and we can start there and build bridges that lead to better conversations. And next uh, is how we're gonna answer these questions about what people really think. So we, we asked these questions, why might people be opposed to the gospel or Jesus or church? And we threw out some answers and the truth is you don't really know. I don't share those answers with you just to give you like more assumptions to make. What, what I share those answers for is to create an awareness in our minds that we actually don't know. And how do we find out? We are curious. We are curious about people. We're curious about what they think about, about God, about scripture, about family, about what, anything. We're, we're just curious. And we're not curious with an agenda. We're curious because we love people. I mean, that's, if, if, if there's an agenda, it's that. We love people well, and so we're curious about them. Because authentic curiosity builds trust. When somebody sits down, I don't know if you've, you've had this experience recently, but when somebody sits down and just looks you in the eye and asks you, what do you really think? How do you really feel about something? I wanna know your story. I wanna know about your life. That makes you feel valuable, doesn't it? And it absolutely does when you do that for others. So just be curious about people. I think that's how Peter knows so much about his audience is at some point, Peter was curious. He listened and he learned. He at least learned from Jesus. He saw Jesus do this for three years, interact with religious leaders. So Peter absorbed all of that. He learned before he spoke most of the time. And we need to be curious and learn before we speak. And the, the last thing I think Peter and John did that I think is important for us to do as well is to focus on Jesus. People who have issues with the Bible or the, or the church, I mean, we may not be able to answer all their questions or resolve all of their concerns. But Peter focused on Jesus. He said, let me tell you what the prophets were all about, Jesus. Let me tell you what this miracle that you just witnessed right in front of you was all about, Jesus. Let me tell you why I'm standing here in front of the religious leaders who were the same people that signed off on the execution of Jesus, I'm standing here because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That was Peter's message. 
He focused on Jesus. And I think you and I, when we're interacting with people who are different from us, especially people who grew up in the church, have some familiarity with the Bible, and for some reason have said, that's not for me, we just bring it back to Jesus. What do you think about Jesus? And it's possible they think some things about Jesus that are not actually true. And we can help guide, and we can study together, and we can learn. It's possible they haven't really thought about it a lot. It's possible they haven't been able to get past some of the pain or hurt, some of their lack of, of knowledge or understanding. So I encourage you, when you're interacting with people, to focus on Jesus. The reason why this is important, and I think a lot of us, you, you hear some of this and you think, well, you know, I don't really have these kind of conversations. You know, I, everybody I know is pretty much a Christian. Um, you, you know, maybe you're kind of in a rhythm of life where you're not meeting new people and you think, I don't know when I would ever use any of this. This is where I, I just want to challenge you a little bit. And say, so if, that's, if that's true, if, if, if it's true that kind of the rhythms of your life don't put you in contact with new people or people that uh, you don't think are, are Christians, um, maybe it's time to change your rhythms. Maybe it's time to do something different. Join a new group, start a new hobby, um, begin interacting more directly with, with uh, people that you see within your rhythm. So there may be people, maybe, maybe you go to the, to the gym regularly and, and at the gym, you know, you, you're, it's earbuds in and you're focused and it's get in and get out. That's sort of my gym mentality, right? Maybe I need to take my earbuds out and slow my pace down so that I'm open to interacting with people around me. Same thing when I'm in the grocery store or the gas station. It's, it's not about me getting in and getting out as fast as I can. It's about Maybe there's an opportunity here. Maybe I'm going to meet somebody here that I can interact with in a way that will point them to Jesus. Why would I do that? Because I believe I have been sent by God to the people around me to love them in a way that opens their eyes up to who Jesus really is and the life that he has for them. Because I am so convinced that life in the kingdom of God offers things that life outside the kingdom can't touch. I am so convinced that the peace and joy and purpose that I get to experience as a child of God is something God wants for every human being. And he has sent me to show them. That's why I would change my rhythm. That's why I would go to different places or join a new group or slow down my pace at the grocery store because I've been sent. And so have you. So I wanna invite you as we close just to think through and pray about that. I want you to think through some of the assumptions that maybe you've made about people in your life where you've never really asked them the question. You just think you already know. Maybe it's time to actually ask the question and see if you're right. Because the more you understand somebody, the better your communication is gonna be. That's true in every relationship. So let's slow down. Let's get to know people. Let's understand them well so that we can communicate well so that when and if God opens a door for the gospel, They'll hear it and respond. That's what we want. That's, that's what this partnership with the Holy Spirit's all about that we talked about last week. So I want to invite you to think and pray about that as we close. Would you stand? I, I want you to think um, about this concept I've been repeating um, annoyingly for the last few weeks that you are sent to one. Do you believe that? And if you did believe it, how would it change 
what you do. And maybe it's time right now just to ask God that question. God, is this true? Am I really sent to one or is this just our preacher being weird? And if it's true, God, what do you want me to do about this? Would you pray about that with me this morning? Father, thank you for the example of Peter and John and their boldness and their reliance on your spirit and their focus on Jesus and their willingness to understand the people that they were speaking to. And I pray that we also would understand the world that you've sent us to. And may we take our mission seriously enough to allow it to disrupt our rhythms, disrupt our comfort, disrupt our convenience, so that when you open opportunities for us to love people, we're, we're present and we're ready and we're curious. Would you do that in us and through us, Father? Because God, we, just like you, we want to see every human being experience the the peace and joy and purpose of living out who we're created to be in your kingdom, to being part of what you're doing, bringing renewal and wholeness to the world. Would you do that in us and through us, Father, to your glory? In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks so much for being here. It's always good to see you. God bless you. Go and be salt and light in a world that desperately needs Christ.